0: Damages and Remedies Part 2 Contract Tip Variable Damages and Maximum Liability Provisions Most provisions I draft and review use a variable approach to the liability limit, but how that variable amount is set varies. Whatever approach we include must use some objective metric to calculate the specific cap amount. Here are the three main types of metrics that these provisions include. One, value. This metric looks at the underlying financial value. Usually, this metric includes at least the amount paid, but sometimes also includes the amount payable, too. If we use the amount payable, we need to make sure the parties can measure that amount. It can be tricky when there is no fixed quantity. Two, Product. This metric looks at the category of items to which we apply that value. It can range from an individual product, to a category of products, to all products. Although often overlooked, this metric is critical in contracts covering multiple goods and services. 3. Applicable Document This metric looks at the documents used to identify the value in product. It may be a single purchase order, purchase orders over time, the entire agreement, or all agreements between the parties. Contract tip, how not to label limit of liability provisions. I have a bad habit of referencing liability limits as the consequential damages waiver and the direct damages cap. I am not alone, but I am stepping up to say that we need to stop. The problem is we intend for the direct damages cap to limit all liability, not explicitly excluded from this cap. So why do we keep labeling the cap with just one type of liability? Remember, there are three big buckets of liability associated with the contract. One, direct damages. Two, indirect and consequential damages. And three, other liability that isn't a damage. This last category includes indemnification and some warranty claims. You may think, we only need it to cap direct damages. We already waived all consequential damages. Let's look at that. Usually there are exceptions to that waiver. Should you cap the excluded indirect damages? What about the other non-damage liability? If you aren't specific about it, a court, jury, or arbitrator may read it differently than you intended. Limits of liability are one of the most important provisions and a key concept in many contract disputes. Join me in trying to break this bad habit. Stop calling it a direct damages cap. Contract tip. Proper placement of limit of liability provisions did you know that where and how your limit of liability provision appears in a contract can make it unenforceable? Here are two ways that happens. One, it's not conspicuous. Limits of liability must be conspicuous, which means easily visible to the reader. Some use all caps, but you don't have to. Just don't vary it. Don't stick it in the one-paragraph boilerplate provision between severability and waiver. Don't drop it casually as the last few sentences of a long audit clause. Give it a top level in your numbering scheme. So Section 7, not Section 7A2I. Then make sure you label it as the limit of liability. Don't label it as risk adjustments or another confusing heading. Two, it's in the same section as another unenforceable provision. Your limit of liability may be thrown out if it's in the same section as an unenforceable provision. Some courts delete unenforceable provisions and enforce the rest of the contract. If your limit of liability is in the same section as that problematic one, you may lose them both. Don't take that risk. Give your limit of liability its own section. Contract tip, how to exclude anything from a liability cap. There's a nuanced drafting technique that many overlook and can result in inadvertently excluding some damages from the liability cap. I'm sharing this drafting tactic so you don't unknowingly approve an exclusion without realizing it. A typical limit of liability provision says neither party is liable for damages over a set amount. Many provisions exclude indemnification and breach of confidentiality obligations from the cap, and most lawyers are okay with those exclusions. So when we see the limit excludes indemnification obligations in this agreement and breach of section 10 confidentiality, we approve and keep reading. Don't do that. Instead, stop and check these things. First, check the indemnities. Search your document for indem. Check each place where an indemnity appears. They may be in places other than the indemnification section. Then make sure each indemnity should be excluded and only applies to third-party claims. If they apply to direct claims, your agreement to exclude all indemnities from the CAP may mean that you have unlimited liability for claims by your counterparty. Second, read through the sections excluded from the CAP. Are they limited to just obligations that should be uncapped? I sometimes see sections labeled confidentiality Include other things like data security and intellectual property terms. Please be careful out there. Contract tip. Dealing with a standoff when negotiating limits of liability. Someone asked me recently about handling a situation when the customer's business team needs at least a million dollars for the liability cap, but the vendor refuses to offer more than $500,000. Neither side will budge off its number. My advice, don't try to plow through it with force. Here's how I approach these situations. One, find out why you need that limit. I usually start with my client. I ask about their attachment to that number. We discuss the risks and if there are any other ways to address those other than a higher cap. If we are worried about data processing risk, maybe we reduce the scope of the data sent to this vendor. If the vendor is the sole source, maybe we focus on setting up another. 2. Talk to the counterparty about alternatives. Sometimes we can offer other concessions in exchange for a higher cap. Our offer could be paying for higher insurance levels, offering a longer term, or agreeing to higher minimums. We want to encourage the other side to agree. Three, fish or cut bait. This is a phrase I grew up with that means do it or don't, but decide and don't linger too long. If there's no workaround, decide whether it is time to walk away and move to plan B. Maybe this is just not a deal on which we can reach terms. Contract tip Customers' arguments for limiting their liability. Customers face a lot of risk in their deals. They often buy from companies that are the last in a long line of vendors contributing to an end product. Yet because of the privity of contract rules, these customers must look to their vendors for most liability shifting. On top of that, some customers are the last in the line before a product reaches the consumer. The law limits how much a vendor to consumers can insulate itself from liability so that the last purchaser before the consumer sits with many risks. It's no wonder customers try to preserve as many remedies as possible in their contracts. They know otherwise they may be left holding the bag. Here are five common arguments customers make to their vendors during negotiations. 1. You are selling a product, so you should bear all the risks of what you sold us. 2. We should not be liable for problems with what you provide. 3. We accept liability from our customers when we sell. We can't also take on your liability when we purchase from you. 4. We are paying you in part to stand behind your product and take risks. 5. You, as the seller, are in a better position to mitigate and manage risks. Contract tip. Vendors' Arguments for Limiting Their Liability Vendors have a demanding lot. They sell their product for a competitive market price. They need to keep costs low to make a profit. After all, that's why they're in business. But they face potential liability at every turn. Typical sellers want to limit their liability in their contracts as much as possible to preserve their profit margins and stay in business. Here are five common arguments sellers make during negotiations. 1. I'm not getting paid enough to take on all the risk for this deal. 2. My profit margin is not enough to justify this kind of exposure. 3. I have risk with my suppliers. I can't take on my customer's risk too. 4. High limits in the contract will encourage my customer to sue me if anything goes wrong. 5. Business is risky. The customer has to take on some risks in the deal.